I'm Sarah Vioso, and this is Surviving Fear. I have stage four brain cancer, but I have chosen faith, hope, and laughter to navigate my difficult diagnosis. This is my story and the lessons I've learned by surrendering my struggle to God. Season two, episode two, self-sacrifice. I was reflecting on my surgery, and I think I have not given my surgeon the credit he deserves. My neurosurgeon had a very specialized and specific job to do. My tumor, remember, was three centimeters in diameter. But then that cyst that was attached to my tumor was seven by six by four centimeters. The entire interior of that was lined with cancer cells. So if that cyst ruptures, then those cancer cells spread throughout my brain and essentially that's it. Time to go through the thin veil. My earthly time is done. This links to self-sacrifice because the amount of training my neurosurgeon had to do to be able to perform the surgery he did with the highly technical, specialized hands that he has, for lack of a better term right now, and using methods that he's been studying for years and years. It takes a lot of self-sacrifice to get to that level. It takes a lot of dedication. It takes a lot of missing birthdays, missing weddings, missing funerals, missing special life events for your loved ones because you have chosen a very specialized and specific expertise. And I think this is especially true in the medical field, but I think it's true in every field. Like when your profession, you make a lot of sacrifices to rise to the top of your game. But specifically, backing back to my story here, back to my particular surgeon, I have no deficiencies. The brain is super delicate. And one of the things, like when I was teaching science, I would always do this experiment because I wanted my students to realize how perfectly God designed our brains that he designed him against, he knew the delicacy or the delicacy, not a delicacy, sorry, how delicate, we're not talking, we're not talking desserts here, but he knew how delicate the human body is. I mean, we're pretty fragile. We can't take big blows. That does not mesh well with our bodies. And 
what I would do is, you know, if you take an egg, like they always say an egg's like a brain. Do we remember that from the 90s? Here's your brain. They hold an egg. Here's your brain on drugs. And there's a frying pan. And he cracks it and opens it up. It's sizzling. And it says, you're, you know, any questions, your brain is frying if you take drugs. So that's always the visual for us, you know, Gen X or Regeneration X. I don't know. Does that put me? I'm 44. Anyway, that puts me in that. That was the popular, that was the popular advertisement at the time. Well, what I did with my kids was, what I do with my students is I take an egg and I say, okay, look, this is, you know, inside of the egg is your brain. And can you imagine if all we had was a skull? We didn't have anything else. And you crack it very easily on the side, but that's not how God designed our brains. So what I'd have them do is I would put that egg in a jar because that jar represented like your your jar represents another layer of your skull. So I'd take it and I'd say, shake the jar. They'd shake the jar. Of course, what would happen? Egg cracks. Pour the egg out. This time when I'd have them do it, I'd have them pour, put the egg gently in the bottom of the jar, and then I'd have them pour water in it and then screw on the top and shake it the brain would still, or the egg would still crack a little, but not nearly as bad as it would crack if it were just in the jar with nothing in it. So then the last step is I would take them, I'd have them take the jar or take the egg and put it inside a plastic Ziploc bag, then put that in the jar, then fill it with water and then shake it. And when they did, the egg would not break. And that's how God so perfectly designed our brains is that you have a skull and then you have fluid in your brain and then you have um, a cerebral membrane that protects your brain that acts like the Ziploc bag and then you have your brain in there. So it's kind of amazing that he built such an intricate protect, or protection system around our brain. Like he did the same thing with our heart. Our heart, you've got rib cage that acts as literally a shield around your major organs to protect them from being hit or, you know, protect our organs from, you know, taking a blow. And then that's that. So where this all went is back to like the brain is delicate and these surgeons have to study so much and practice so much to be so very good at their profession that they were willing to take another human's life in their hands to save them. I just can't even imagine the amount of sacrifice that it takes. I teach. I think that takes a lot of self-sacrifice. It takes time away from my family, which I miss them, but I also feel such a pull that this is what I was chosen to do. Whether it's teaching math or it's teaching what I've learned, the lessons I've learned from this whole journey and this process I've been in. And I think that that level of self-sacrifice that comes, whatever our profession is, because our profession does, for the most part, take us away from our families. But it's also so satisfying when I get to teach And I get to see what I'm doing light up someone else's life. God using me to reach someone else. And I think that's why surgeons do what they do. I think that's why they're willing to make those sacrifices. 
because they're helping someone. Because of their self-sacrifice, they shine his light. And they may not be a Christian. They may not have any religion in their lives. But whether they recognize it or not, the amount of self-sacrifice it takes, you're giving of your time, you're giving of your expertise to help someone else. Sounds like a familiar story to me. Sounds like Jesus. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. Talk about about self-sacrifice. The absolute, he sacrificed his life. There's no greater gift that you can give someone than your life so they can have theirs. And Jesus did that willingly. He did it because he knew that was the only way we we're getting to heaven with him. That was it. That he had to do something so big when he wasn't even guilty of it. He wasn't even guilty of what they prosecuted him for and what they tortured him for and what they crucified him for. He wasn't guilty. But that's the kind of self-sacrifice that he made for us. That's how much he loves us. And you know, another, like I think self-sacrifice, I think of military. Christ is always the first one I think of, but I also think of military. And, you know, I, you guys know I was in the Air Force. I've told you that. But, you know, my time in the Air Force was nothing like what you see these guys that are and these gals that are deploying for a year at a time. Some of them had three or four or five different appointments, deployments. And what they leave behind, well, first of all, the self-sacrifice, not knowing if they're coming home. They're leaving their families. Some of them are missing out on the birth of their children. They essentially leave their lives like reservists have a whole, if you're a reservist, you know, you have a whole separate career and then you take a break from your career to do your reserve duty and then you come back to your career. You know, I I just, I was never on a front line. I never did anything like that. I never had to be away for holidays. I could always be around. So I never deployed. I don't feel like that I, you know, I didn't do much self-sacrifice. I was willing to, but I just, my number didn't get called for what my job was. I think of the sacrifices that my grandfather's made. It's funny because I was just doing something Veterans Day, depending on when you listen to this, but Veterans Day is coming up in about a month or about three weeks. And my, both my grandfathers served in World War II. And I was doing something with that. They both served from 1942 to 1945. My one grandfather landed in Normandy six days after the initial battle started. My other grandfather was a POW for two and a half years. He was captured in Northern Africa, ended up in concentration camps in Europe. And the self-sacrifice they made And that generation made to fight for our country. 
is pretty phenomenal. And I've told this story of my grandfather when he was captured. My gra- They got married right before him and my Grammy got married right before um, he deployed and went overseas. And she waited by that radio every night for two and a half years waiting to hear his name because they would announce those who got killed in action on the radio. She never heard his name, which is amazing because had he not made it, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. What that generation was willing to do and what our generation is willing to do, just if you get a minute, just if you see someone in uniform, if you see anybody wearing a veteran hat, just say thank you. Some of them want to tell their story and some of them don't. Sometimes it's too painful to tell. Some of these people have seen some really tough stuff. And it's what they're willing to do, that self-sacrifice. But that self-sacrifice is the biggest gift you could give anyone. Like when I was freshly into my path with glioblastoma, I was so blown away by the people that I knew were in their own depths, in their own dark. I had a friend of mine who had just lost her husband. Yet she was still showing up on my doorstep with gifts, with scripture. with a smile, with a hug, wanting to lift my spirits in her out of her own darkness. I have so many friends that have their own thing that they're dealing with and they drop everything to help me. What a gift. I mean, that, I think, is... living a Christ-like life. And sometimes it's hard because I'll tell you, I struggled with that when I was, I mean, I shouldn't say incapacitated because that's a little bit of a stretch, but there were times that I, I mean, I couldn't get out of bed. My body was done, beat down from the different treatments, from chemo, from radiation, from different meds. And my body was just tired and done. And I hated not being able to help people. It was hard to process. It's hard. When we can't help others, it's hard because, and that's okay, because sometimes we are meant to be still, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we need to be still, and sometimes God makes us be still when we can't. It's just so important to give yourself to others. And I don't say that in like, it's a duty. You have to do this. It is priceless the way you feel when you help somebody else. It is absolutely priceless. The smile on their face, the joy in their eyes, you can't buy that. You can't buy that feeling when you make that sacrifice for someone else. You can't. And it's okay if you don't 
if you can't do it that day, like sometimes I get so down on myself, it's like, oh, I really want to help them, but I'm so tired today. Nothing fills me with joy than doing something for someone else. I think you feel that too. Like I do something with my kids that it's not my idea. I can't take credit for it, but we, um, in drive-thrus sometimes we'll just, and people, you know, you've seen this, this has gone around. It's not my idea by any shape or form, but when they get in the drive-thru and you just say, Hey, I, sometimes I, I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes this has backfired on me and the bill was really big, but like we go through a drive-thru at Chick-fil-A or wherever. And I'd say, Hey, we, we'd like to pay for the people behind us. Never met them, never seen them. I didn't pick up on this as, you know, you see this, sometimes you see in the news where it goes on for hours with at, you know, coffee place, Starbucks, whatever. So we did it. And my kids think it's the greatest thing. They think it's the greatest thing. And they look behind and they watch and they just want to see what they're going to do. Do that one time. And just, it makes me feel amazing. It does. And it's not a big expense. Sometimes it's a little bigger than I expected because maybe they're ordering for like the soccer team and that's okay. And that's okay because it still makes you happy. And that's when that self-sacrifice inspires someone to make a self-sacrifice as well. You never know. You never know. Um, I wanted to share with you guys this uh, past weekend, I was invited to do my first speaking engagement. Not gonna lie, I was a little nervous. And it ended up being, it was, at a, it was called When Women Pray was the conference name. And I was blown away. I was blown away by being up there. I was blown away by this talk about self-sacrifice is that the committee that put this together, I mean, there were 700 women there. And this committee that put it together, what they sacrificed to pull this off was incredible. Purple Everywhere, which was wonderful and amazing and talk about lifting my spirits. But the effort that these women put in to such an amazing event that reached 700 women, their own self-sacrifice just reflected God's like It was a disco ball. I mean, it was incredible. But I just wanted to share with you, I had the opportunity to do this, and I wanted to share a self-sacrifice that happened. There was a, after I gave my presentation, I had this woman walk up to me and shook my hand. Now, I think I've mentioned in previous podcasts, there's something really like a weird miracles going on. I say weird miracle. Miracles aren't weird. Miracles are amazing. And someone had, I told you, my dad keeps finding dimes. It started with my dad. He's been finding dimes. No other coins, just dimes. And when he finds them, he's he like when he started finding them, he, he reached out to me. And then they're random places, places you don't expect to find dimes. He was on a trail. Um, he has his favorite trail. He likes to walk through my hometown. And he found he's found a couple of dimes on there. He finds them in different places. Then, you know, 
I started finding just dimes. I found one. I think I shared with you. I found one when I was checking out of MRI. Like it's a very long, sterile countertop and the office workers are sitting behind it and like, they have to keep it clean, wiped down. We're all masked up. And I walked up to check out for my MRI. And when I did, there was a single dime on the countertop that had no business being on that countertop. Like it's not like you pay for anything when you're walking out, like you don't, your wallet doesn't need to be out. You just sign some papers and on your way you go. So I found this dime. Um, since all this dime business started, um, we have found 31 dimes, 31 between my dad and me and my boys and my husband. It's just crazy. My friends have found them. It's really nuts. And it's so great. So anyway, so to, the reason why I'm telling the story is because this woman afterwards, after I gave my speech, walked up to me and looked me in the eyes like she was on a mission. It was a very intentional meeting. She walked up and she put her hand out and shook my hand. And she had this really, like a, a light in her eye, like a glimmer, like a little spark in her eye. And I'm like, what's up here? And she shook my hand. And I've told you before, like my parents are both from the same um town outside of Pittsburgh, and it's called Steubenville, Ohio. It is the home town of Dean Martin and my family. <laughs> um, not my family, but my parents. Um, and that's our claim to fame. It's the city of murals, and it's also Dean Martin's hometown. My grandfather was in the Boy Scouts with Dean. We actually have a picture. Somebody does. I think my aunt might have it um, from the newspaper. It's so cool. Anyway, so this woman walks up to, it's a small town, 20,000 people, teeny tiny town on the Ohio river. She walks up to me and she, and we're in California, like we're in Irvine, California for this. She walks up to me, shakes my hand, looks me in the eye and she goes, I'm from Steubenville, Ohio. I was like, oh my goodness. And then I kind of teared up because then when she released my hand, I looked, she had palmed me a dime. And I just told my story of the miracles of how the dimes keep showing up in my life at this particular conference. And she palmed me that dime. And then she sat there and had a conversation with me. And I just thought, how beautiful. And self-sacrifice doesn't have to be something that costs a ton of money. It doesn't have to be something that takes you away from your family for weeks, days, months, years on end, like talking about military, it can be something as small as a dime. That is self-sacrifice because it brings light to someone else. When you give a little bit of yourself, no matter how big or small, it's no contest. There isn't a contest here. You think about the parable of the lady in the temple where they had all these rich people were donating, you know, all this money in Jesus, when Jesus was at the temple. And then this old woman came up. All she had to her name was two coins. She donated one. And Jesus commended her because these rich people were giving all this money, but it didn't really change their lives. They didn't give until it changed their life. This woman had two coins to her name and she gave one of them to the temple. I want to share with you, I have this book 
and it's called Do Something Beautiful for God, and it's the essential teachings of Mother Teresa, and it's a devotional that someone had given me, and I just love it, and I want to share one of these with you that was about self-sacrifice, and as I try to locate it, because I just change it, what is it what does it mean to help someone else? And I think that was the teaching of Mother Teresa was that, you know, we think, you know, I think about her and I think about how she served the poor of the poor. And I always think, gosh, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't, I'm like, I'm not in, like for me, it's like Skid Row. It would be going to Skid Row every day and helping someone. And she writes in this book that that's not what we're called to do. I mean, it is, but you don't have to go and find and seek out the poor of the poor. That may not be your calling and that's okay. Like I used to feel bad. I'm like, my gosh, I haven't taken a mission trip I hear people taking mission trips down to Mexico to go and help build schools, which I think is amazing. It's something I would love to do at some point in my life. But right now, that's that's not right now because she, she's, she says, just taking care of the people in your house. Start there. Be the best parent you can be. Be the best daughter you can be. Be the best person you can be. Start there. Be the best member of your community you can be. We're not all called to go to where the poor of the poor are. If you find yourself in a situation where you can help them, then yes, by all means, go. If you feel that tug and that calling to just help the poor in your neighborhood, in your city, in your town, go help them. Give of yourself there. But she's telling us, start in your house. Then it's amazing how that flame grows. It's amazing how you almost get, it's a good addiction, addiction to helping others. That's what we're called to do. We're called to give of ourselves to help others, just as Christ gave all of himself to save us. You guys, thanks for listening. Sorry, this was a little longer than normal. I just couldn't help. This is one that's been sticking with me, and I just wanted to share it with you. I am Sarah Vioso, and I'll see you at the next episode of Surviving Fear. Surviving Fear is made possible by the efforts of our executive producer, J.T. Henderson, writer and director, Sarah Vioso, producer and editor, Kristen Walker, artistic creator, Laura Ritchie, graphic editor, Linda Lee, and musical artist and composer, Adam Biosoff.